0: One of the things I think that worked to my advantage in the last nine years was my history in the AEC industry, the architectural engineering construction industry. I didn't have experience growing up through the ranks in traditional methodologies. I came from working for a small specialty contractor, and then I started consulting on those integrated project delivery kind of projects. So I didn't recognize how siloed the industry was, like I never felt it. Mm -hmm. And so when I got introduced to how siloed it was, I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of opportunity here for us to pull things together, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime you have silos delivering the same outcome, you're gonna run into issues if you don't work to, to break those down.
1: Hi everyone, I'm
2: Tracy O'Rourke and I'm Elizabeth Swan, and we are from the Just In Time Cafe and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, we talk to groundbreakers, we discuss great books and we get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners
1: who are making a difference in the world. We also let you in on helpful apps that bring you the news and challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu today? Good question, Tracy. Today's highlight is our
2: interview with lean construction maven, Rebecca Snelling. She's a member of the Lean Construction Institute. She's got a new company, and she's writing a book that's coming out this October. Uh, Next up, it's an app that boosts organizational collaboration. And we chose to highlight this app once we asked our problem-solving community, what have you seen that helps break down organizational silos? We've got countermeasures, solutions, and some awesome reflections. You picked a great day to come to the cafe. Right, Tracy?
1: Absolutely. What day is it wrong to be at the cafe?
2: (laughs) Never. (laughs) Up next is Hot Apps. Yes, Tracy, today's app is called Monday.com. And they refer to their product as a Work OS,
1: which means operating system. And that intrigued me yes it intrigued me as well monday.com's cloud-based work os they claim is revolutionary software one in which the power to work without limits is in the hands of the organization does that sound intriguing as well yes tell me more So they have a no-code, low-code platform that democratizes the power of software so organizations can easily build their own software applications and work management tools that suit their needs for once instead of everybody else running around trying to fit the needs of the application, (laughs) which we see a lot in a lot of organizations. And guess what else? It also makes other software better by integrating with other systems and applications. So ultimately you're creating new connective layers for organizations that link departments and bridges information and silos. Thank goodness. So they claim and, you know, I'm starting to believe them. They claim it's everything you need for every workflow, boards, views, dashboards, integrations, automations, apps and docs. It sounds almost too good to be true. So, Elizabeth, what did you discover when you looked it up? Um. Well, your enthusiasm is infectious, but I got the
2: same impression. It was like Trello on steroids. You know, it's got Kanban boards, it's got Gantt charts and tons of different setups. You can create workflows, boards, templates, and you can build them for projects, for tasks, for clients or events. And you can start from scratch or import existing info from Excel, Google Sheets, Asana, whatever you've got. Uh, The website offers lots of templates and tons of use cases. So you can go see what others have set up in there and see what might fit for your particular situation. They've got a webinar hub, you can sign up for demos or simply access on-demand videos. I checked a few of those out. Really nice, short, comprehensive. Uh, There's a ton there if you're curious. I looked at how they came to be and they built their platform so they could collaborate better, right? So this, this came from within. And they want to do, as you said, eliminate silos, align their organization and elevate their teams. And our Q and A today is focused on silos. So this is a tool for reconnecting. Uh, And then I just looked up pricing uh, as you do. So you can get a free version up to two seats and you get unlimited boards, unlimited docs, 200 templates, over 200 column types, up to two team members. And it can be iOS and Android apps also integrated with. So that's the free version for those of you that like to try it first. And then there's basic. Uh, I think then that's 24 bucks a month, uh, eight bucks a seat. And you've got unlimited free viewers, unlimited items, five gigabytes of file storage, things like that. And then you've got a, a, a standard. Wow, standard is $10 a seat per month. And they said that's their most popular but it, oh that's $10 a seat so total of 330 bucks a month mm-hmm. um anyway as you as you go up you got pro you got enterprise and you just get more and more uh as you roll up in a uh, a monthly fee so mm-hmm. it was uh it was impressive i'd say
1: it's worth checking out Definitely worth checking out. It's It feels a little overwhelming. Like you could do everything, really? <laughs> uh, but I do really like the idea of integration. It's badly needed. I'm seeing a lot of organizations in this situation with multiple systems that do not talk to each other. And hopefully this will end forcing employees to triple enter data into different systems and help reduce silos, which is what we were talking about already. So we're going to include the link to Monday.com on the podcast post on our website. So you can check it out. I'm curious though, Elizabeth, did you happen to find out why they d- decided to call it Monday.com? I was looking and I didn't find it so quickly. That's
2: a mystery, Tracy. We're going to, yeah. I mean, why out. couldn't
1: you just call it? I don't know, something else. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like Tuesday. What about Tuesday.com? What's what about wrong Tuesday? with Tuesday? Wednesday?
1: <laughs> I don't know, but why Monday? And I feel like, oh my gosh, does everything have to get done on Monday? I hope not. (laughs) I'm Elizabeth Swan,
2: and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you get to hear our interview with Rebecca Snelling. Next up, it's an issue we pose to our community. What have you seen that helps break down organizational silos And just a little background, I remember when we were part of a seven person company and someone from our tiny marketing team started rattling off stats about the LCV. And when I stopped him, he was happy to let me know it meant lifetime customer value. And I can understand seven syllables down to three, feels like a win, but we were starting to speak different languages. And Molly McMahon, who's the Director of Process Excellence at Members Cooperative Credit Union and a recent student of ours, She pointed out that people using acronyms often do not know what they mean, and I've seen that. And it's not just acronyms. I have a client who works in human resources, and she referred to Rex during a recent Kaizen workshop. And I had to check if she meant requisitions, requirements, or recommendations. (laughs) You know, and I've read articles where people said that silos are encouraged as a form of internal competition, right? So departments keep their information to themselves for some kind of an advantage. But the reality is way more benign. You know, you can't copy hundreds of people on emails. You can't, we can't stay connected with everybody. So we don't. And at some point, we become us and then. And those are the hallmarks of a blame culture. So, bottom line, humans are tribal, silos are tribes. So we have to find ways to bridge the divides. And I know you love Gemba walks, Tracy, process walks, uh, and they help with that, don't you, Tracy?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Process walks is one of my favorite ways to break down silos, especially because when I we do process walks, I really help have people focus on pain and uncovering pain in the process. And it really helps people see, oh, my gosh, this is I, I think I can help with that or actually know how to reduce that pain or gosh, I'm contributing to that pain. Mm-hmm. So it really remembers that people are human, first of all. And then it's really kind of amazing how reducing pain can bring people together. right? Nobody wants to see their tribe in pain. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention too is you know even using lean terms are a challenge, right with ac- It's sort of like the acronym issue. You know, and that's why in our training material in a lot of places, we've converted all Japanese words into the English translation because it's yet it's really helping remove another barrier potentially to inclusion and understanding. So, you know, why call it Gemba when we could call it a process walk, especially for people that are learning these new tools and these new methods. So here's one of the responses we got when you posted this question on LinkedIn. Strategic operations leader Eric Ho reminds us to go and see and be curious. He recommends helping people to loosen their grip on what they believe is right as a precursor before going on a process walk. Very wise. I like that one. And here's a great quote from Bill Waddell.
2: He's a global restructuring expert. He said, there's no law. And it was not written on the back of Moses' tablets that you must organize the company by function. <laughs> Lots of lean companies organized by value streams. So the Moses reference cracked me up, but he's right. And lean companies that organize by value streams are way ahead of the game. It's just that it's a transition, it takes time, but it has such incredible advantages.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, they say that silos were invented because supervisors felt like it was easier to manage people that did the same tasks versus a very diverse group that is doing many tasks, unfortunately. So we have to convince the supervisors <laughs> that, <laughs> that value stream organization is better <laughs> than departmental and functional organization. So here's some advice from Chandra Burzma, Lean Coach at Statistics Canada. What she's seen help break down the silo mentality is things like huddles at all levels. These allow for everyone to share wins and challenges and problem solving as a team, not alone in their silo. I think that's really helpful. That's really helpful. And here's some concrete activities suggested by Catherine McDonald,
2: who's a lean black belt and a leadership coach. And her top three, her go-tos are cross-departmental mentoring programs, Cross-departmental value stream process mapping and project work, like you talked about. And I like this one, social and sports clubs. Sometimes the informal approach works really well. And I love the addition of the sports clubs. That's always been a source of great bonds for you and for me. And uh, but also the social, right? Not everyone's into some sport, unless it's pickleball, right, Tracy? Then oh my gosh, anyways. pickleball! I just said why, why even think of it any other sport? It should just be pickleball. Yeah, just pickleball. <laughs> or maybe it's maybe it's pickleball or bridge. I don't know, but or or, or cribbage. I just got into <laughs> cribbage again. So anyway, these are great. These are great additions, great advice and observations from the community. They never disappoint. We'll leave the link to the poise, post so you can join the conversation or find some of the other great techniques that got posted there.
1: Yes, join the conversation. I'm Tracy O'Rourke and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly. So you can go to www.jitcafe.com and go to our podcast page to find all of our awesome interviews with all these people we love.
2: Coming up next, it's our featured guest,
1: Rebecca Snelling. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little about Rebecca? Happy to. Rebecca Snelling is the owner of RS Consulting. That stands for Rebecca Snelling. She coaches people, teams, and organizations on leadership and lean transformation with an emphasis on advancing culture. She is active in the design and construction industry, speaking at various industry events across the U.S. and abroad. Rebecca also serves on the board of directors for the the Lean Construction Institute, LCI, and the Center for Innovation in the Design and Construction Industry, CIDCI. Can't wait to talk to her. Yeah.
2: Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the Just in Time Cafe.
0: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
2: Um, it's an honor. Uh, I love the connections that we make through the Women in Lean, and you are yet another awesome co- uh, connection for us.
0: <laughs> Yay! Thank you. What a yeah. wonderful group. I am so thankful for it. I've been able to meet so many wonderful people around
2: yeah, Women
0: in Lean. It's
2: great. It is. It's amazing. Um, And then uh, also excited to have you just your background in lean construction, although we know lean is lean regardless of the industry. But it always felt like construction had its own little kind of uh, nooks and crannies that were that were interesting. And can you tell us what you did as the national lean director for J.E. Dunn Construction for over nine years?
0: Yeah, I would be happy to. so it, it's interesting when I started there as the National Lean Director, in, in my mind, my job was to help the organization become a lean organization. Um, I very quickly learned that the expectation of the organization was that I was going to plaster sticky notes in all of the job site trailers. So <laughs> there, <laughs> there, is, uh, there is one tool in the lean construction world that really is where lean construction kind of got its start. And it's, it's a a system called the last planner system, and it involves the people actually doing the work, building their plan together in a collaborative way. And, um, and so actually when the system was created, they kind of backwards into the idea that it was lean and started tapping into lean concepts around that and growing from there. So that was the initial starting point and very commonly understood in the construction industry is that that's what lean construction is. But when I started at J I had the mindset that, um, I had the, the mindset that, that, We were going to be a lean organization. So we slowly had to take step by step to help the organization learn and grow into their recognition. So ultimately, what my responsibility was, was to help grow the understanding of lean and help the organization adapt to more lean thinking throughout Um, I ultimately wound up being responsible for developing um, internal lean coaches throughout the organization, helping leadership learn about lean, helping throughout the organization, just as they continued
1: on their journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you had a bigger perspective of what lean meant, which is great. Um, but, you know, Lean, this last planner, I think that's really interesting. I um, I did some work in construction as well before the last planner came became available. And I remember that moving to Lean Construction was having the planning group talk with the design group and construction because they were very siloed, right? It was sort of like construction would be like, well, wait, this design doesn't really work with this material, but it's too late. Like we've already got 300 homes that are going up with this this idea, but construction wasn't involved. And so do you feel like last planner was really reducing that siloed effect between those groups?
0: So interesting enough. So last planner system was originally just geared at the folks doing the construction work. And then as the industry started to advance, um, I'd say I'm going to guess late 90s, early 2000s, especially in Northern California in commercial construction, they started to recognize that big gap, that big disparity between like we've got these silos and we're just tossing things over the wall. Um, And so then there became this this new idea of integrating that project delivery and actually getting the constructors involved in helping with the design. Um, And that is still not wildly common in the industry, nice? but it's becoming more and more common so that you know I do I agree it is it's just wild to think about um, one of the things I think that worked to my advantage in the last nine years was my history in the AEC industry the architectural engineering construction industry I didn't have experience growing up through the ranks in traditional methodologies. I came from working for a small specialty contractor and then I started consulting on those integrated project delivery kind of projects. So I didn't recognize how siloed the industry was. Like I never felt it. Mm -hmm. And so when I got introduced to how siloed it was, I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of opportunity here for us to pull things together, right? Anytime you have silos, delivering the same outcome, you're going to run into issues if you don't work to to break those down.
2: Yes. I think that first part of that sentence, anytime you have silos and then just like all the all the trouble oh, and like. from that. Yeah, we just did a huge thing on that. It's part of our Q&A for this uh, this month's uh, episode. I, can you do me a favor just for those who are, you know, unfamiliar with how uh, the last planner works, The last planner system. Can you just give like a brief outline of what that is? Absolutely.
0: Um, first, uh, yes. So it's, it's taking a project and last planner system is initially was built around a construction project, right? But it really could be applied to any kind of a project. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, first of all, it's called the last planner system for two reasons, First of all, the last planner is really the last person involved with planning the work. And traditionally in construction, um, work plans and schedules would be built by schedulers or project managers or somebody else at a higher level. And then the plan gets passed on and down and down and down. And then the foreman usually looks at the plan and says, well, this is great, but I'm going to do it differently. Right, And he goes and replans that work. So that person is the one we consider the last person who plans the work. So it involves that level of participation. And then it's a system because all of these parts and pieces together is what makes it really effective. Um, There have been a number of people in the industry and companies and project teams who will implement parts or pieces of it. And they only get a fraction of the value, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they actually incur additional waste because they aren't using the other pieces. So the parts and the pieces of it, um, it's really taking the overall planning of a project from a high level conceptual, this is the kinds of things we should be able to accomplish and then bringing it all the way down as you get closer to the work, adding more detail to the plan. So, the first step is really the master planning, where you take your milestones in the project and you really identify the big picture commitments that need to be achieved and completed to achieve those. And at the end of the day, what it results in is um, the phases that you're going to plan your project in and the overall commitment of the end date to the client, because Mm -hmm. it it encompasses this idea that. projects are really, they're a big commitment that the whole team is making. And it's made up of, that commitment is made up of a whole number of other commitments in order to achieve that end result. So you think about it as you're really, the goal is to activate that network of commitments. So you've got your high level milestone plan. And then the next level, you take each one of those milestones And you do what's called a phase pull plan and this is the part that in my mind is most similar to value stream mapping and you Mm -hmm. start at the end you say this is what we want to achieve and what we want to accomplish how are we going to get there and we build the plan backwards based on the needs of the trades that are building it and there's a lot of focus on talking about the handoffs so In the construction industry, it's not uncommon for a trade to show up for work that is supposed to be ready for them Mm
1: -hmm. and it's
0: not ready how they need it, right? It, It doesn't meet their expectations. So in this phase pull planning, you're really clarifying those conditions of satisfaction and the handoffs from one trade to another. And you build that plan backwards and you also identify constraints. So besides predecessor work, what else could be in your way that's not ready for you or what other challenges do you expect? And then the next level of detail is where the team looks at that next six weeks worth of work that come from that phase pull plan and identifies potential constraints, right? what, what is? And then they go take active and proactive measures to get those constraints removed. So then by the time the work is in next week, those last planners can reliably commit to the work that they're going to do next week. Mm-hmm. So then there's the the weekly planning where they commit. And, and of course, they're adding more detail to, and they're getting very specific, um, sometimes even day by day at what portion of the work will be complete um, very specifically. And then mm-hmm. the last step in it is um, the, the do, right? The check, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the check and adjust. It's the where we have daily huddles and the teams will share, this is what I did complete, this is what I will complete tomorrow. So they're finalizing their commitments, but also reflecting. Um, And then whatever did not get done as planned, let's stop and analyze and understand why it didn't get done as planned. And if this is something that's likely to recur, we might need to do a deep dive root cause analysis so we can apply that learning back to the plan going forward. Um, if it's a one-off thing and we're not worried about it recurring, then we, we kind of move on and we focus our energy on, on root cause analysis where, where we're going to get the most benefit from it. Um, so that's kind of the last planner system in a nutshell. Wow,
1: <laughs> in a nutshell, that's a, that's that's a big nut. It is, yeah. it's a big
0: nut. And in, in the, the one thing I do have to mention to you is that it, it's not successful if you don't have the right culture developed within that team where people can challenge each other and tell each other no i can't get that done or you have to be able to have negotiations and and people bringing problems to the surface if you want it to be effective
2: yeah
1: good so thank you for that that's i think that would be very helpful you know i started to think about all other kinds of industries that would it would be really helpful if they had a last planner Uh, you know, ship repair, even in the Navy could benefit, uh, you know, those kinds of things, you know, you're you're just managing it, you got to plan it for next week, depending on what happens the week before. And having that diligence around that is interesting. Um, So, you know, of course, we always want to ask you what's different about lean in construction, but I know that, you know, you probably we, we talked a little bit about this that you know there's you probably have the same challenges most organizations have when you're applying lean um, and so i want to talk to that but what i really want to know i'm dying to ask this question is how did you or how were you able to motivate trade partners to be lean if at all did that happen i mean because that is one thing that i think is different for a lot of organizations. Is you're relying on an organize or many organizations that they don't work for you. I mean, they work for you. They're your customer. You're their customer. But um, how do you motivate subcontractors in the in, in that environment? Did you yeah. run into that?
0: Uh, we absolutely did, and 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 there were there were times where it just wasn't possible. Right? We couldn't not. It wasn't possible. We couldn't figure out how. But generally speaking, the last planner system. When, uh, is something that trades, once they understand the value that comes from it, they want to do it because it makes their life easier, their life better. Um, I still tell the story of when I was consulting prior to, back in 2010, um, this one general contractor is consulting with, their electrician came back to them and said, If you're going to use the last planner system on your next project, let me know that before I give you my price. I will take 10% off my price because they had saved that much money because it, it really is driving more reliability for Mm -hmm. them, which allows their organizations to be better at their planning and the things they need to do. Um, But when it comes down to trying to convince a trade partner or somebody new, to do the last planner system or lean, for me, it always comes down to understanding what their specific objection is, right? And oftentimes it's just, they're so used to doing things the way they've been done. They've learned a million lessons as to why it has to be that way. It's really hard to trust that there's some new way of managing that's going to be better. And they're not going to get beat over the head for missing a commitment or something like that.
1: Yeah. But what about lean? So did yeah. you have trade partners doing lean out? Obviously the last planner is nice because it, it helps with that, with the whole process of getting better and more efficient, but in terms of getting trained on lean or applying lean principles to how they do work, what, is there anything that you guys did to try to bring trade partners along your lean journey? So
0: yes, what, what we did is when, and there are a couple of different ways we did this. So we, We generally, when we kick off a project team, we would do a training that included the last planner system, but it also included a heavy dose of lean and waste and recognition of waste and problem solving. But we wanted to try to be, um, give them enough to be able to move forward, but not overwhelm them. Right, and um, so we we didn't we never really got to the point where we went and spent a bunch of time in their companies, but we did while they were on the project. There, you know, we used Last Planner system as a starting point, but then started implementing things like 5s and Gemba walks and waste, you know, helping them identify waste and root cause analysis. Um, But what we found is that any of these things take a while for people to really grapple around the culture piece of it. So we wanted to do one thing well before moving on to the next. And in the construction industry, the last planner system is oftentimes the starting point. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you heard in my nutshell, (laughs) that's a big starting point, right? There are lots of components to getting people on board with that. So even an implementation of LPS would take any given team six months to kind of really get, get good, you know, four months, to get a good grounding and move forward to be, to be able to start taking on more and more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, but the trade partners were a critical piece of that success. So yeah. we had to make sure that, that that at least the people they had on the job site had a deeper understanding.
2: Yeah. So, um, so what, you've started now a new company, RS Consulting. I think I know what that stands for.
0: <laughs> Creativity in naming companies, that's not why people hire me. <laughs> yeah. And then
2: <laughs> um so tell us why you decided to start this company and what service you're going to be focused on uh providing.
0: Yeah. So um I I've decided to start this. It, frankly, I've got enough experience and exposure in, in my past that that I've really been able to hone in on where I bring people the most value. So when I was thinking about what I want my company to do, I really wanted to couple with what I bring the most value in, plus what the design and construction industry, I think really needs more than anything. Right. And and where there's not a lot of resources for people around it. So a lot of what I'm doing is focused on more of an organizational cultural transformation that, yes, involves some of the tools and techniques, but really boils down to leadership and how leadership is engaged in the the growth and direction of what they're trying to do as an organization. And when I say leadership, that can mean C-suite and, and, and that type of thing. And one of my clients that that is where I'm focused, but it also might be their internal group of lean leaders where they might not have somewhere to, to help them think and continue growing. And they're, they're doing it in a somewhat ad hoc kind of way, which is fantastic, but helping them with some strategy, some consistent thinking and helping them really be more effective at what they're developing. Mm. Um, So I I think that in my mind is where the construction industry needs the most kind of help going in that direction. Um, But what it really boils down to, uh, I'm having fun and I'm working with good people, helping them solve problems and helping them develop capabilities and grow our thinking together.
1: Um, Yeah. Nice. And I think, you know, interestingly enough, I think that is what lots of organizations struggle with is the cultural piece, right? It's it's not the tools, it's not the training, it's not the projects. It's in creating a, a, an environment that uh, ideal conditions. You know, creating an environment that you know that is an ideal condition for lean, so that it can it can thrive. So um, I think I think that is also interesting. So you you you're probably going to be able to go beyond construction. Um, because that's just something people are looking for in general what um, any specific things that you've seen leaders struggle with culturally that you're really kind of honed in on yeah and 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 I think
0: you' so I'd love your point about other industries in fact one of my clients is a school district that so you're, you're right it does absolutely apply everywhere um one of the biggest, disconnects, I think, within the construction mindset is there's just such a genuine, there's a recognition from leadership that the value add comes from the project teams. Like we we get that we understand that is where we're delivering our value to our clients. Um, what we don't always understand easily is that how we behave impacts, as leaders, impacts how our teams deliver those projects. And so shifting from that mindset of the check the box approach to, you know, and the directive approach to shifting to, I have to be able to help my teams develop and grow and my people develop and grow. It's not just about the building that's being put in. Um, So that, that little distinction there is where I see the most challenge. The biggest opportunity. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Another aspect that I know it runs across um, every industry is this idea of of building high performing teams. And and we are lucky. You're going to come and talk to us about that in uh, in June. Uh, run a webinar with us, which is awesome. But yeah. can you tell us a little bit, just a, a little teaser for folks about you know kind of. The main pieces you see as being critical to the the building of the high performing teams. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, if if we all reflect back onto some project that we had, whether it was a construction project or other, and think about one that went really well versus one that went didn't go so well, oftentimes the difference maker is the team that you were on, right? And and so often. We let those teams come together by happenstance and we don't take intention to try to really focus that team on learning each other and how each other work and how to how to make the best for each other and how, that kind of a thing. So if we're intentional about building a team at the beginning and what that can look like is understanding each other through, self-assessments, whether it's, uh, you know, DISC um, assessments or Myers-Briggs or strength finders and and learning about each other and what we all bring to the table and how we all communicate effectively. Um, And really aligning around what does our team want to get out of this project like yes we want to complete the project right but what do we want as far as relationships how are we going to make sure that we build our rules of engagement together so that at the end of this experience we're saying i don't want to work with anybody else i loved this team this yeah. was fantastic right? and that, that's what we really want out of and and all of that makes the rest of the day-to-day of the project, the actual getting the work done,
2: yeah,
0: honestly, just much more fun. Not to mention a little bit easier and less stressful, right? Because yeah. we can openly communicate when we've got challenges. We can ask for help. We can lean on each other. It it just makes it much more effective.
2: It's funny. I have a I had I would say I'd let go of it. A huge bias against all the self assessments. The the disc, the Myers-Briggs, I mean, you name it, strengths, I've I've probably done them all and they're a blur. And because people come out of them and go, oh my God, this is me. And it's like, of course it's you. You answered the questions. (laughs) (laughs) It's a self-assessment. So that would drive me crazy. But then I realized, no, it starts a conversation and it lets us sort of think about how we're going to work together and just be overt about it. Um, And be mindful and intentional as you're saying. So I let go of that, as Tracy can probably attest to that.
0: (laughs) You know, That's a a brilliant point because I will say, and I think there are studies, don't ask me to cite them. That's not me. But that like when I take a disc, if you took a disc assessment about me, you might get wildly different answers. Like the results might be different. It's not about the results for me it's about how the conversation happens that we have afterwards and getting mm-hmm. to know each other and getting to understand each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even specifically, I'm, I can be tool agnostic when it mm-hmm. comes to that. It's really about driving that right conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's- I think it also helps when you are looking for agreement on something, you're trying to move forward. And so if you have an analytic You're going to show them the numbers more than um, it's not a trust issue, potentially just might be that they need to see the numbers more than someone uh, needs to see it a different way. Right. Like it'll help the people. So I think it does help understand what the with them could be for people if you're trying to, you know, if you need to get people on board and and be an influencer, I think it helps to understand what clicks for people in terms of for communication sure. and conversation.
2: And in for the, those of you wondering what with them is, because Tracy knows I, my other pet peeve is acronyms. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what's good. in it for me. For me. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Uh, it, that's a, a great point, Tracy. I think they're great tools for helping teams learn to communicate more effectively. And I think other ones like strength finders can be really helpful for if you have a team that all has similar strengths you know what, now we've got some blind spots and now we know what they are. So, so it does, I, I think there's a lot of value that can come from them, but the, the biggest value for me is in, in facilitating conversation, mm-hmm. uh, and driving towards what makes the
1: most sense for that team.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's so good. Yeah.
1: Yes. So you've got a new company, you've got a webinar coming up with the jet cafe.
2: That's huge. And-
1: that's huge, and um, we're really excited for you. Got a lot going on, but I mean, so you also have a, maybe potentially something else coming out. Are you gonna, are you writing a book or something? I
0: might be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess the more I talk about it, the more I'm committing to making mm-hmm. sure I finish it. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I, I'm writing a book actually on choosing by bandages sound decision making, which is a, a decision making system that has been around for a little while now, um, since the late nineties and, and, um, I've been, I've partnered with Jim Sir, who is the creator of it. Um, he's got a couple of books out that nothing that's been published recently, and I'm really trying to translate it into a much more, make it more approachable for people so that anybody could pick it up and read it and kind of understand. So I am working on a, a, a book for that.
2: You there heard you it here wow. first, everyone. Rebecca <laughs> Snelling is writing a book. It's yeah. going to be coming out very soon. Um, <laughs> my, my goal here, a
0: little more a little more commitment.
2: Mm-hmm. My goal
0: is to have it published and ready by October. There's a mm-hmm. conference I'll be attending, and I'd like to be able to distribute it widely at that
1: conference. Man, go Rebecca. Go yeah, are you going to do the last planner method where you say, okay, here's the date. Now let's work backwards. <laughs> I've
0: already done some of that.
1: And Awesome
0: already on board with that.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, is there anything else you want to share with our audience that we didn't ask you about?
0: Um, you know, I would say I I think that kind of covers the gamut. I just the one thing just to remember within any lean transformation or growing your organization in this direction, it's not enough for leaders to be bought in. That's a huge piece. Right. But they have to be engaged. They have to be thinking differently, behaving differently. Um, and maybe not wildly differently. Maybe it's just a couple of tweaks to what their traditional, but if you want to do something different as a company, leadership has to do something different too. Right. You can't just ask your people to. So I, I think that's really the only other thing I'd restate.
2: Yeah. I agree. wise, wise words. Thank you for that. It's a good, it's a good parting shot. Uh, it's been a total pleasure having you, Rebecca. Thank you so much. This was really Thank fun and, and and an education as usual. Yes, and
1: thanks for coming to the cafe. Woohoo! <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: You can catch Rebecca May nineteenth at the Lean Construction Institute Lean Roadshow in Chicago, Illinois, and on June 15th and 16th for the Lean Roadshow in Austin, Texas. And she's coming to the cafe July 21st to deliver the webinar, Building a High-Performing Team. So come check it out. Be sure to register for our May 19th interactive session with Lean Thinker Raghavan
2: Venkatram. He's running a mini workshop called Standard Work, Defining the Missing Link. Raghavan ran a similar workshop recently at the CataCon conference, and it was intensely popular. Updated standard work should be the result of every process improvement. So this is a great session to be a part of. Register. We'll leave a link for you.
1: And if you're planning your own improvement education journey, you should definitely have a stop at our fall semester Lean Six Sigma Leader course on your calendar. Our latest cohort just graduated and they are already on their transformational journeys. This course just keeps getting better because we're continually improving it all the time. So come join us. It's offered through UC San Diego and the fall class starts at the end of September and goes for 12 weeks. So start planning now and we'll provide a link to all of these on our website. We are thrilled that you came to the cafe to join us at the Just In Time Cafe, packed with members of our fabulous community. Join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine.